we started the series on this idea of 2 Corinthians 2-3 where it says, basically it says, our stories, the testimony of God is written on our hearts. It's our lives. And so when we live our lives out, it should be a testimony of the goodness of God. It should be giving glory unto God. And so that's sort of where we came up with the idea of vertical story as we live our lives out and we're in pursuit of, of God and the goodness of God in our life. As we live that way and we give glory unto God, it goes vertical. It, 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 whereas we're an example, it, it lives vertical. It goes, so our lives is our vertical story. We said how at a funeral, uh, they get up there and they put up on the screen, you know, they live from 19 whatever to, you know, whatever. And in between is the dash. So what does your dash say about your life? From when you were born to when you died, what is your story? You know, when you're at a funeral, no one ever gets up there and says, oh, you know, you know, Bob here or whatever, uh, you know, he just, he just had a great house and he just had a great car and he just talk about all the stuff. No, they get up there and they talk about the stories and the impact and, and, and uh, the, the, the life that was told, okay, about their life. You don't, you don't really hear him get up and say, well, you know, he worked at this company, and wow, what a great guy, because he worked at that company. Well, and he did this, and he did... No, you talk about the influence and the impact and the story of a person. And I believe, you know, and we've laid a lot of it out, and I can't go into, you know, rehash of it, but um, you can jump on SoundCloud and listen to our sermons. If you jump on SoundCloud, either .com or download the app, you can listen uh, on there. But we kind of laid it all out that we are. The Scripture says we're from dust to dust, from where we're born to when we're done, everything that matters is what's in between. What did we do with what we have now? The kingdom of God is about stewardship. What are you doing? What are you saying with your life? And so this week, part five, as we talk about our vertical story, what is our life saying? Uh, the title of my message is your, the title of the message is, is your story real? Is your story real? Uh, there's this story that you can look up I think it was um, Moody or somebody, uh, one of the, the great writers, uh, tells the story of this guy named Mr. Peace. And Mr. Peace was a gangster, uh, notorious gangster, back when they used to be real. Not like what you see on YouTube and these idiots running around doing stupid stuff. I'm talking like when it was a thing. Uh, he was this gangster of all of England. And they knew him from the north to the south, like all of Liverpool. Uh, they knew of him. And they, he had a reputation. Essentially, you could say he ran this area. And so uh, he, to this day, has the most murders, robberies, uh, abuse, um, destroyed lives. He has the most, to his credit, if you will, uh, in, in all of the history of that time. And he finally got caught, and he was sentenced to death. And when he was on death row, I mean, literally, they brought him into the room, the story says, and there was the electric chair, and his right was to get a preacher. And so before he goes to the electric chair, uh, the preacher comes in and has a Bible and comes to give him his talk and give him this whole thing. And uh, the way the story goes is it says that the preacher began to describe heaven. And obviously, the preacher at this time is trying to convert him, save him before he goes to the electric chair. And so uh, the, he begins to tell him the stories of the Bible and describes heaven. And he talks about how the pearly gates are three stories high. And he's, he's trying to woo him into this idea of heaven and eternity, and the streets of gold and how the water's crystal clear and there's no pain in the, and how the scripture says that there's no tears. But then he also begins to tell him about a place called hell and how there's a story in scripture where Lazarus uh, has this vision of this guy who's in uh, how there's this vision in Scripture in the New Testament of 
this guy who's in hell, and he's just begging that somebody, it's so hot, it's so miserable, that somebody just gives him a drop of water off the tip of the finger, it says. He says, if you could just, he's just begging for just one even little drop. And so he's describing the misery of how the scripture says that uh, they literally will gnaw. The pain is so excruciating uh, that they'll gnaw. As you're, when you're in hell, you gnaw on your tongue, like, to save pain. If you've ever, like, stubbed your foot or done something, you, like, bite your finger, you know, which is dumb because you're in pain, but you give yourself more pain, kind of this, just this thing. It talks about how there's gnashing of teeth and describes all this horrible place about hell. And as Mr. Peace is making a decision between the electric chair and what the preacher has to say, he grabs the preacher by the throat and throws him up against the wall. And he says, preacher, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? And this is the moment for the preacher. You know, what do you do? How do you respond? This guy's eternity is hanging in the balance. And he says, sort of, I suppose, I guess, I've experienced some of it. Uh, I think it's a good thing. It's a good idea. It's a, it's, a, it's a decent thing to maybe follow. And he takes him by the throat and he throws him on the ground. And he says, preacher, that's pathetic. And he sat himself in the electric chair and fried. That's a true story. Very much so you could say that day that the preacher was at fault for that. You could say the fact that the preacher's story that he told wasn't real to him. It wasn't alive in the preacher. The vertical story, the story in that preacher, it hadn't become real to him. So he didn't have a real story that he could convincingly say to that guy, hey, it's real in my life. I've had an encounter. This is the deal. And I wonder how many times in our life we get into a position where, do you really believe that? Where life kind of puts you up against it and says, do you really believe that? And we do the same thing as the preacher. Well, I, su I suppose, uh, sort of, kind of, it's a good idea. It might not work a little here, it might not work a little here, but kind of I like the idea of it. Suppose, we, uh, he said, I suppose. My thought for today is that supposers are losers. People that are supposers are losers. Uh, not in the sense that, hey, you're a loser, because we would get on the Christian soapbox and we'd say, well, everyone's the child of the king, nobody's the loser. And uh, okay, that's fine, yes. But what I'm saying is when you live your life as a supposer, or we, we call some people a poser, uh, oh, that person's a poser. They pretend to be a skater or they pretend to be a thing. It was a big, big word that got thrown around about 10 years ago with some of the young crowd. Oh, that guy's a poser. He's not really, a, he's just posing to be that. What I'm saying is in the regard of this, people who are supposers are losers, meaning they're the ones losing out. Not that, oh, you're a loser because, yes, we're all a child of the king. We get that. But supposers are losers. And the reason that they're losers is because you're not what you're pretending to be, and you're also not who you're supposed to be. So it turns you into being the loser. Uh, and the problem is with Christianity, and as we're talking about a vertical story and living authentic, and I know this is going to be kind of a strong sermon, but that's a lot of us. We're a supposer Christian and we have a little bit of Christianity, and we have a little bit of who we are, but, but we're not. We're in the middle somewhere. We want as much of the world as we can have, but we don't want to go to hell. So we, have, we want as much of the world as we can, but on the other hand, we want as much as God as we can because we want as much blessing. But we're not living authentic Christian lives. Somebody say, that's good. That's good. Okay. <laughs> I was going to do this next week, the 4th of July. No one would be here, and then uh, <laughs> no one would be mad at me. But there's nothing more irritating in life than when somebody's a fake. Somebody say amen. Drives me nuts. It's the same thing in Christianity as we're trying to be a light unto the world, 
and we're being supposed or losers. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Yeah. Okay. And so, thanks, Holly. I'm glad we got our thanks. So, <laughs> I pay her well. Uh, so, he's... But, but I want you to catch this thought. The person losing out when we don't fully trust God and we don't fully dive in and we don't fully submit ourselves. That's why the scripture uses these strong words of take up your cross. It's not us that live. It's Christ that live in us. We literally have to die completely submitting to this idea of God in our life in the gospel because anything short of that isn't going to work. Supposers are losers. And so the idea is if you aren't all the way there, you're the one who's missing out. We are the loser. You're not who you're faking to be, and you're not also yourself. You're somewhere in the middle, and you're the one missing out on all that God has designed for you. We talk about love as Christians. Oh, we just love. The whole gospel is built on love. And I would venture to say we're one of the most unloving, gossiping, backbiting people there are. Right? Can we just, okay? I'm getting into it. So if you want to come with me or not, I got like five more pages, and we're just going through it. And... Uh, it's been six months, and I've been nice here and there, up and down or whatever. And so the finger is pointed at me, okay? I'm, just, I'm with you just as much. But so, oh, we're just built on love, love. We all love this idea of love and Christianity and love and came to save the world and love and God is love. And then we can be very far from that. We talk about being giving and being generous, but then we're selfish in a lot of things. And Christians are real good at being selfish in their relationships, uh, well, I'm a Christian, and I'm higher called, and so I'm not going to associate with that, and I'm not going to connect with that. And can you believe that person dressed like that and did that, and they showed up in church like that? Can you believe that? And they're selfish about how they want everything. But wait a minute. I thought we were the people that were giving of ourselves and extending a hand and loving. We say amen. We talk about, oh, we're Christians, and so we're passionate. We have passion, and uh, we have passion. We're excited to see a move of God. We're so passionate about seeing God move except for when he moves in somebody else's life and not yours. How easy do we share in other people's joys, right? Someone comes, oh, God did this thing, and you go home on the way home. What is God? Them? God chose them? Like, I can't believe. I know you guys have never done that before, but I'm just saying, like, right? That's not you. It's not us either. I'm just saying some people I've heard do that. <laughs> so think about it. So here we are. Oh, we're people, we, you know, we have passion. We want to see a move of God. But when it happens in somebody else's life, when you're trying to do it, you're quick to, I can't believe they don't deserve that. How did that happen? We talk about being humble. Oh, we just lay down our life at the cross and we'll just take up our own cross and follow Jesus. And we talk about humility and being humble. But it's pretty rough when you don't get your own way sometimes, right? Especially in church. Like, oh, but I wanted to be that. Oh, but I wanted to do that thing. But oh, to so we talk about humility and taking up our cross, but then when you don't get your way, it's sort of the opposite of that. Uh, don't, you know, purity could be another thing we talk about. We're trying to set ourselves. Scripture says we're in this world, but we're not of it. Not that we're better than it. We're not trying to separate ourselves as better and high and mighty, but we're called to be a light. We have to separate ourselves and live in such a way that we can draw people to something different. When we look just like everybody else and talk just like everybody else and act just like everybody else, how I many know we're not calling them to anything different? Amen? So purity is a big deal. Supposers are losers. We're the ones who lose out when we pretend this thing. Uh, so I thought about this. Check out these statistics. 83% of Christians 
will never read the entire Bible in their lifetime. So like the one thing God gave you, hey, here, this, my will, my testament, my commandments, my, this is literally, when Jesus walked the earth, people called the Bible the way. They believed this is the way to live. Do you want to know how to live a successful life? Read this. It's the way. And 83% of us will never read the entire Bible. So we say, ouch, right? Okay. So in January of this year, and maybe we should start at Souter, but we're going to do it at the beginning of the year. We're going to get on a plan to read through the Bible in one year. And you're all going to do it. Somebody say, I'm with you. Okay. So we won't be in that statistic. Check this out. This is devastating. You will spend... So the amount of time that they say that it takes to read the Bible in a year, the amount of time that they say that it would take a normal person to read through the Bible in one year, you will spend more, time, more than that time watching just movies. So you're like, oh my gosh, maybe I don't watch a lot of movies. They say that you will spend more time listening to music. The amount of time that it takes to read through your Bible, you'll spend time, more time listening to music in your one year or TV. Any three of those categories, the average American will spend more time on those things than they will reading through the Bible. In the scripture, we know that the Bible is called the way. It's the way. And uh, so we have to balance this thing. Um, one thing for us is uh, we talk about worship. You know, we have this word where uh, they did this study with the Barna group where we come to church and we say, we want God in our lives. We want to worship God. We want him to be our thing. And they say that the average Christian polled out of about 30,000 Christians, they said that God's purpose... So God's purpose, where you literally, besides when you come to church and say, God, what would you want to speak to me? Or you're kind of crying out, God, what do you have for me today? They say the average Christian only two more times during the week has that thought. Only two more times during the week has a moment where they say, okay, God, what do you want to speak to me today? How do you want to lead me in this relationship? Or this, where they actually take the time two, two times during the week is what the Barna Group says about that. Uh, they say this about reaching people. Uh, in a church setting, so this is just for church, uh, in a church setting like this, they say that uh, only one time in the course of a year will a congregation member cross paths with someone they've never met before and actually introduce themselves. So not accidentally, like when you signed up to serve and you got paired up with somebody or something like that. I'm talking, you came through those doors and your idea was, hey, I don't know somebody I'm going to go introduce myself to them. So we talk about reaching people and connecting with people and doing this kind of thing. But only one time in a year you take a step across the room to connect with somebody, it's not good enough. Somebody say amen. Supposers are losers. (laughs) We lose out when we live that way. We lose out on what God has for us and building our story of what God wants to do here when we live that way. And so uh, I believe that our whole life is to glorify God. John 4.23 says this. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is looking for true worshipers. You could say about the scripture, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, not the posers, not the supposers, not the fakers, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Verse 24, it says, God is a spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. It has to be authentic. We can't fake it. Everything is a heart condition with God. Do you mean it? Is it on the inside of you? Is it alive? And this isn't judging you and it's not like a judgment on me. I'm just saying uh, we have to clean up and consider how we live and what we, everything is intentional with God. 
uh, we said last week, uh, we ended the sermon by saying, Jesus lived in such a way that he said, I do nothing unless my father instructs me, instructs me. Every email, every conversation, every dinner appointment, everything that he did, he went into it knowing this is God's plan for my life for this moment. I'm going to make the most of it. Somebody say amen. We have to be true worshipers, authentic, considering God, what do you have for me in my life? What is my story going to be from dust to dust? What does my dash say about my life? God is looking for true worshipers. I'll uh, close up with this with a couple thoughts. DJ, if you want to come play. Revelation chapter 3, this is a good, uh, this is a good thought here. Uh, Revelation 3.15, we'll let him get, get started. Did I move you? Yeah. I just want to say this because I know there's a Bless Your Pastor week that is in America. I don't know what day it is. I'm not good enough with a calendar like that. But I just really, as God was speaking to me, I just felt like he really wanted me, before I go and play and Josh um, finishes, to just, for us all to just bless our pastor, because I have never met a man in my life that challenges me on a weekly basis in my walk more than this man right here. Um, and I know a lot of you agree with me. So before he finishes, I just really want to pray for him and bless him. And I was going to wait because it's kind of awkward, but I felt like God was like, no. So I, was, so I don't argue. So I don't want to be a loser or a supposer. But, but so God, we just thank you for Josh. Um, for his lovely family and for the passion you've put in his heart to love people and to um, sometimes even it's just a, it's a hard kick in the butt as he launches us forward and vertically. Um, but, but that's what you've called him to do, God. You've called him to speak to us in the ways that we need to hear, um, not, just, not just every Sunday, but it's things that we carry throughout our week. Um, we thank you for him and all that you're doing in him. Um, and we pray more and we seal it in your, in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a first. Uh, so here's the deal, which is awesome. That's a good thing. I love it when, when we move uh, that way. What I love about DJ, he's got like a true heart of a worshiper. I'll tell you a funny story about Nate, and it will relate to this. Nate Marielke, those of you know, uh, we were in staff meeting when he was very first early into the ministry. Because he's got this worshiper heart that's so sensitive to what God's doing, like that. You know, he walks down the thing and totally jacks up my sermon. Uh, God is moving on his heart to be obedient, okay? And, uh, and so thank you for that. Um, so he's super sensitive. That's part of like being a worship leader, you know, as you write music and, you, and you're trying to, you know, hear, hear from God and pen things. Um, he totally reminds me of Nate in a lot of ways because I was on staff with Nate and we were in a staff meeting and staff meetings are very spirit-led, but they're also like business. And so you have a little bit of worship, you do a little bit of prayer and then you get into like the, literally you sit around a business table and you get into the business. And Nate, just so pure and sincere like this, uh, in the moment, always following God. We're sitting at the table uh, and we're talking about these problems that we're kind of having at the church. And Nate gets up very like aggressively away from the table and he shoves his chair in and he gets down on the ground and he just starts crying out like, oh God, forgive us. Like starts praying repentance for the situation that we were having in the church. I just remember going like, what the, what is this, who is this guy? And, uh, but it stuck with me because I was like, man, I would like to live that way. And that's actually what I'm preaching. So well done. It's like, we got to be authentic. Like if that's what God's moving on his heart right there, even though it jacks up our plan, somebody say amen. Uh, that's what we do. We follow God and it's authentic. And today he's not a loser. Somebody say amen, right? So, okay, you get that for today. You know, we'll see what tomorrow brings, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, 
So check this out. Um, I'll go through this as quickly as possible, but Revelation 3.15 says this, and we all know the scripture, but it kind of ties up the whole thought. Revelation 3.15 says, I know your deeds. One translation or one way that I would say it um, would be God knows what you're up to. He sees your heart. He sees our actions. So Revelation 3.15, I know your deeds. God knows what you're up to. You are neither cold or hot. I wish you were one or the other. Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So if you back up, it says, you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other because posers are losers. You can't be in the middle. It's one or the other. If you want to be effective, you got to choose. Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And so you're talking, oh my gosh, that's aggressive from God. I'll spit you out of my mouth. Why? Because he can't work with the middle. I can't do anything with the middle. You have to decide, are you in or are you out? Are you with us or you're not with us? God wants to bless you and advance you and take you to the next level, but you have to be obedient. Everything is about obedience. Verse 17, you say I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. So what the scripture here is saying is like, you feel like you're rich, you've accomplished this, you've done this, but you're not rich in the right things. Because he goes back into the next scripture. So he says, you feel like you're rich, you've accomplished all these things, but then he says, I counsel you to buy gold from a refined fire so you can become rich. Well, the guy already thought he was rich. So God's talking about a different kind of rich, a kingdom of God kind of rich, the better way to live richness peace, joy, long-suffering, all the fruits of the Spirit, the things God has in our life, those kind of things are what make you rich. So he says, and basically starting to break down salvation here, he says, so you can become rich and wear in white clothes so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Uh, and then it says, and self to put on your eyes so you can see, and it's talking about salvation, bringing on salvation into your life. Your eyes are opened to uh, eternity. Uh, verse 19, those, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Be earnest and repent. Or you could be sincere or you could be diligent and repent. Be, be earnest, diligent, and repent. Uh, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. Every time we hear the word rebuke or discipline of God, we always think the wrath, the lightning striking, throwing God. But I've known it. He's called our heavenly father. When we talk about rebuke or discipline, it's always in the standard of, whoa, 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 don't do that. That's not best for you. And, it, and it's like, that's how the Garden of Eden was. He said, you can eat of all the trees, but not that one. That one's not good for you. I always say this. It's like if you came and house sat at my house and I had a jar of poison in the refrigerator. Say, hey, you can eat whatever you want in the refrigerator. Just don't eat that. Was that like angry God? Was he rebuking and da, da, da? No, he was keeping you from a bad thing. So everybody says, oh, Christianity is so full of rules and it tries to take all the fun out of my life. No, the Bible's full of more principles for your life. If you do this and do this and do this, you'll be blessed. It's the better way to live uh, because God is saying, hey, don't do that. That's not good for you. I was thinking of the sermon last night and I was pushing uh, my daughter on a cart uh, that we like set all kinds of stuff up on. And it's this flat cart and it's got this high handle and she was trying to hang on to the very top of it and because uh, she was sitting on it. So I was pushing her and she was trying to hang on it and it was way too tall. It was like stretching her arms out, you know, and you could tell it was like frustrating her. So I kept trying to move her arms down to the side where she could hold on without being all stretched out and sore and whatever. And so um, 
So I would move her hands down and she would try to go back to the top. I'm like, no, I want to hold the top. And I'm like, no, it's better if you hold the sides. You have to hold the side. Was I rebuking her and disciplining her? No. I was saying, hey, it's better if you do it this way because you're, you're, you're going to hold on better. It's going to be a better ride for you. It's going to be a better way to live if you do it this way. So every time we hear the scripture, it says like, I rebuke you and did it. Every time God calls you into something that may not be comfortable, it's because it's better for you, not because he's trying to take from you. Somebody say amen. And so, so those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with them as they with me. God is still in the business of connecting with you and loving you and caring for you. Verse 21, those who are victorious... I will give the right to sit with me at my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father at his throne. So those who don't punk out, those who stay authentic, those who do their best, and I'm not saying we're going to miss it. Or The scripture says we all sin and fall short of the glory. I'm not talking about perfection this morning. I'm talking about trying your best and doing your best. When God is leading you in something and you compromise, how offensive is that to God? Oh God, I'm... I'm I'm believing you for this. I'm believing you for this. And, and you're trusting God and you want all of this of God. And then when God calls you to simply, oh, no, 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 no. I can't give you that area. I have to resort back to that wrong relationship or that wrong thing or the wrong way of thinking or that this thing. How offensive is that to God when he's saying, I want to bring you to this. I have this for you. This is the best way. And we resort back to the old habits and the old addictions and the old things. God's saying, no, come here. I have this for you. So he's saying those, are, those who are victorious, those who don't punk out, those who aren't supposers, you are victorious. Those who are victorious, just as Jesus was victorious, can sit down with the Father at, at his throne. Verse 22, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Why don't you stand to your feet? Again, I'm not trying to talk about being perfect and, and this whole high standard that none of us, we're all going to miss and fall short of the, the, the glory, the scripture says. But that should affect you. That, that should mean something to you. We shouldn't be okay turning the temperature down with more compromise after more compromise after more compromise. The scripture, like we're saying here, is that it's got to be hot or cold. It's not both. You can't turn the dial down to the middle and say, okay, this is comfortable for me. I got a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and now I'm happy. We have to be all in or out if you want to be where you're called to be in the kingdom of God. And so with all your eyes closed and uh, heads bowed, I want to give you the opportunity this morning. If you've never chosen Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you did a long time ago and uh, you've missed it, you say, man, I've made some mistakes. Maybe you kind of had some supposed so moments and today you want to get right with God. You want to say, hey, God, I'm like we talked about. I'm laying my life down for your cause, for the way that you called me to live. Like we talked about the Bible, the way God called us to live. He can do incredible things with your life today. I don't care your background. I don't care the way that you think. I don't care the mess that you feel like you're tangled in. God can make a way, the scripture says, when there seems to be no way. All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. The scripture says, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is it gonna be easy? Is it gonna be squeaky clean? Probably not. But God promises that he's there with you. So if that's you here this morning, with nobody looking around, not gonna embarrass you, not gonna call you forward, not gonna have you fill out a card or take any kind of class, just gonna have you raise your hand when I count to three. 
And what that does is that symbolizes to God that you're choosing him as your Lord and Savior, that you're asking him for help where you're at. And he'll meet you there. He'll pull you from where you are. Scripture also talks about how we're like a miry clay. God pulls us and forms us and puts us where we need to be when we choose him. So nobody looking around. Between me and you, I'll lead you in this prayer. Again, you don't have to come forward. It's not anything like that. We're all going to pray it as a group. But if that's you, recognize it to God that today you want to make a decision to follow him and choose him as your Lord and Savior. If that's you, on three, raise your hand. One, two, three. All over the room. See that hand? Anybody else? You got that feeling where you're just like, man, that's me. I need to do it. Don't, don't back down. Don't be in the middle. Don't be like, ah, I, I'm there, but I'm going to stay here in the middle. If that's you, just put your hand up. Okay, see that? See that one? Awesome. So we're all going to pray together. We're all going to repeat after me, pray the same thing. And uh, Scripture says, you confess me as Lord and Savior. Um, he'll forgive you of your sins. You'll be on your way to heaven. But you can pray that prayer right now, even if you didn't raise your hand. If you believe it in your heart, the Scripture says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those that believe it in their heart, it'll be the same. So I want to encourage you, even if you didn't have the courage to raise your hand, today you can have life change if you pray this prayer with me. Everybody say this. Say, God, today I choose you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Help me with my walk with you. Lead me, guide me, direct me. For all the days of my life, I choose you. In Jesus' name, amen.